and welcome back to Endopod. If you're new here, hi, this is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. Welcome to Endopod's revision series. Each episode will cover bite-sized revision material for those preparing for exams or even just for those who are interested in learning the basics of endocrinology. In this episode, we're having a look at the pituitary gland, but this time we're going to be learning about what happens in hypopituitarism when it doesn't secrete enough hormones. We'll cover what goes wrong and why, as well as the clinical effects, diagnosis and treatment. And as a reminder, if you missed the last podcast on pituitary hypersecretion, I would like to hear what we talked about. Make sure to check that out once you've finished here. Before we can discuss the clinical effects of pituitary hypofunction, we first need to know a little bit about the physiology about the pituitary gland and what its function is. If you missed the pituitary gland physiology episode, now is a good time to listen to it. The pituitary gland is a pea-sized endocrine gland located at the base of the brain, just below the hypothalamus. It is split into two parts, the anterior pituitary and the posterior pituitary. It is often called the master gland of the body as it secretes eight different hormones. These hormones are all very important and either direct certain processes or stimulate other glands to produce their own hormones. Without them, our body can't function properly. The anterior pituitary makes up two-thirds of the gland and secretes six hormones in total. These are prolactin growth hormone, adrenocorticotrophin hormone, thyroid stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. The secretion of these six hormones is under the control of the hypothalamus. Then we have the posterior pituitary gland, which secretes antidiuretic hormone and oxytocin. These are called neurohormones and are actually made in the hypothalamus but travel to the posterior pituitary to be released. Now that we know some of the basic science, let's focus on hypopituitarism, also known as pituitary insufficiency. This is a failure of production of any one or more of the eight hormones secreted from the pituitary gland. Sometimes all of the hormones can be affected and in this case the condition is known as panhypopituitarism. Hypopituitarism only becomes symptomatic once more than 80% of the pituitary cells have been damaged, and in most cases it develops slowly. However, there can be situations when it develops much more quickly, and we'll cover this later on in this, in this episode. The clinical manifestations vary significantly depending on which specific hormones are deficient, the age of onset, rate of development, and what the underlying cause is. The prevalence of hypopituitarism is estimated to be around 35 per 100,000. It can be acquired or congenital and affects males and females at an equal rate. So what causes pituitary insufficiency? It can be caused by diseases that affect the pituitary gland itself and decrease hormone production directly, or by disorders that affect either the hypothalamus or pituitary stalk and interfere with the signals that tell the pituitary gland to release its hormones. The most common cause is compression of the pituitary gland by non-secretory pituitary macroadenoma. This is a benign tumour with a diameter over 10 millimetres. These account for roughly 40% of cases of pituitary insufficiency amongst adults. Other common causes include postpartum pituitary necrosis, also known as Sheehan syndrome, and pituitary apoplexy. Sheehan syndrome usually occurs following postpartum hemorrhage, where the blood loss leads to vasospasm of hypophysial vessels, therefore an ischemia of the pituitary gland. As for pituitary apoplexy, this is an infarction of the pituitary gland as a result of acute ischemia or hemorrhage, and most commonly occurs in patients with pre-existing pituitary adenoma. In this situation, symptoms come on quickly and urgent surgical decompression may be needed. 
Pituitary hypofunction can also be caused by traumatic brain injury, infections like meningitis, congenital deficiency of hormones due to genetic mutations, iatrogenic causes such as irradiation of the pituitary gland, or hypophysectomy, or by Coleman syndrome, which is a congenital deficiency of gonadotropin-releasing hormone. There are also some situations of hypopituitarism in which no cause can be identified. Now, let's move on to talk about the signs and symptoms that can be present in hypopituitarism. As I mentioned before, the presentation can vary massively depending on what hormones are lacking as well as the age of onset, so we'll go through each hormone in turn. First, we're going to take a look at growth hormone deficiency during childhood. This presents with failure of growth resulting in short stature can also lead to delay in puberty. I think it's important to mention that growth hormone deficiency does not have any effect on a child's intelligence. Moving on to look at growth hormone deficiency in adults. This is characterised by alterations in body composition, with increased fat mass and a decrease in muscle, as well as fatigue, decreased quality of life and impairment of attention and memory. It can also cause elevations in LDL cholesterol and premature atherosclerosis. As for ACTH, when this is lacking, it can produce both acute and chronic effects. Decreased ACTH, ACTH is called secondary adrenal insufficiency and results in diminished production of cortisol adrenal androgens. The acute effects include weakness, dizziness, nausea, vomiting, fever and shock. Then we have the chronic effects of fatigue, pallor and weight loss. The next hormone is thyroid stimulating hormone. This hormone is what stimulates the thyroid gland to release thyroid hormones, so deficiency of TSH causes the symptoms and signs typical of hypothyroidism, which include cold intolerance, constipation, hair loss, weight gain and hypotension. If you'd like to learn about this in a bit more detail, you can check our episode on hypothyroidism. That's has covered three hormones, so we're on to the next two, which are the gonadotrophins, follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. Lack of these hormones has a slightly different presentation in men compared to women, so we're going to be looking at each separately. In men, decreased FSH and LH secretion leads to low testosterone production and may cause loss of libido and impaired sexual function, loss of facial hair, scrotal and body hair. Decreased muscle mass and osteoporosis is another symptom. Women can also have loss of libido and osteoporosis as well as the other features including infrequent menstruation and infertility. Next up is antidiuretic hormone. When ADH is deficient, it causes symptoms of polyuria and polydipsia. Patients may also present with dehydration, decreased urine osmolarity and hypernatremia. This is also known as cranial or central diabetes insipidus. Now what are the clinical manifestations of prolactin deficiency? Well, there is actually only one manifestation and this is an inability to lactate. This means that males will be asymptomatic. Finally, a patient with hypopituitarism may also present with features due to underlying cause. For example, space-occupying lesion pressing on the pituitary gland may come with headaches or visual field abnormalities. If a patient presents with any of the above signs or symptoms and you suspect hypopituitarism, the next step is diagnostic tests and you'll need to perform to confirm this. So what are these tests? Well, since the pattern of hormone deficiency may vary, each hormone must be tested individually. First, you'll want to start with some basal tests. This included using these thyroid function tests, cortisol, IGF-1, LH and FSH. If pituitary insufficiency is present, any of these may be decreased or in some cases gonadotrophins or TSH may be neutral. You may also want to measure prolactin levels. 
This may be increased due to loss of hypothalamic dopamine, which normally inhibits its release. There are also some dynamic tests that can be performed. This includes a short synactin test to assess adrenal axis and an insulin tolerance test to assess both adrenal and growth hormone axis. I just want to note here that insulin tolerance test is contraindicated in epilepsy, heart disease and adrenal failure, so in these cases a glucagon stimulation test should be carried out instead. Lastly, to investigate the causes of pituitary insufficiency, an MRI can be used to look for a pituitary or hypothalamic lesion. Once a diagnosis of hypopituitarism is made, it needs to be treated. This consists of treating the underlying cause, such as resection of pituitary tumour, and by replacing the hormones that are deficient. Treatment will be tailored to the individual depending on which hormones they need. Deficiency of ACTH and consequently cortisol from the adrenal glands is treated by replacing the cortisol with steroid tablets, either hydrocortisone or prednisolone. Growth hormone can be replaced in some individuals by daily self-administered injections. Gonadotrophins are re replaced in women either by taking the oral contraceptive pill or by hormonal replacement therapy, whereas in men testosterone is replaced using various synthetic forms including gels or injections depending on the individual's lifestyle and preference. Deficiency of TSH, which results in the lack of thyro thyroid hormone, is treated in the same way as hypothyroidism, which is by taking levothyroxine ta tablets orally every day. As for antidiuretic hormone, this is replaced by using a medication called desmopressin, which can be given as a nasal spray, tablet or injection. Finally, for prolactin, defici prolactin deficiency, no treatment is required. So what are some complications of pituitary insufficiency? It's associated with an increased risk of heart disease and stroke, so smoking cessation, a balanced diet and exercise are essential to reduce the risk. Patients with pituitary insufficiency also have a higher risk of developing osteoporosis, so a diet with lots of vitamin D and calcium as well as weight-bearing exercises can be helpful. Overall, correct pituitary hormone replacement therapy along with monitoring and follow-up is the most important thing and can reduce all of these complications. That concludes this episode on pituitary insufficiency. Thank you for listening in. As always, we're very grateful for the support we're receiving. Make sure you check out all our other endocrine revision episodes. And before I go, I want to say a big thank you to Arabella Bapti, who was involved in making of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier signing off.